this is Aliska for From the Frontline. Tonight we are talking about overcoming obstacles and opposition. With us in the studio is Dr. Hammond. Dr. Hammond, anyone who is serious about fulfilling the Great Commission will be confronted with obstacles and opposition. Why is that? Well, first of all, we are in a spiritual world war, so we should expect opposition. That's why we're told to put on the whole armor of God. We are involved in a fight against principalities and powers. Hell is real. Heaven is real. There are spiritual forces of wickedness. And our Lord confronted uh, demonic temptations and pressures. We should not expect to be any different. The Lord left us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. And uh, that's the first thing. But, of course, we should also bear in mind mankind's wicked. <laughs> Human depravity, total depravity of man is, is a reality. So uh, both other people's depravity and our own is going to get in the way of the Great Commission. So we're dealing with things that obviously a lot of the gospel message is offensive to people. People don't like to be told that they're sinners. Uh, many people are offended by the idea that, well, what do you mean that people will be condemned to hell for rejecting Christ? And there's a whole lot of offensive things, uh, you know, the fear of God, the laws of God, the hard words of Jesus. So bear in mind that seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is going to go against the flesh and the world and the devil and selfishness our own and others is going to get in the way. So we should expect opposition. We should expect obstacles. It's just built into the fact that we're in a fallen world that's lost, that's in rebellion to God, that's en route to an eternity in hell, which is rushing in its way of down the broad way to destruction. And so we should not be surprised that when we are involved in the most important work possible, that of mm -hmm. saving the lost and proclaiming God's word to a rebellious world, we should expect opposition. In fact, if you're not getting opposition, maybe you're on the broad, smooth, easy path that's popular because the narrow path is steep and it's unpopular and it's rocky and it's not that comfortable and it's not that popular. So if we are not getting opposition and we're not being criticized, maybe we're on the wrong road entirely. Mm. Yeah, that is a true. And what kind of ob obstacles confront a Christian who is committed to missions? Well, I remember as a brand new Christian when I was converted in 1977 and, and I got involved in immediately ministry and missions that one of the first things is people say, you're not the right person to do this and this isn't the right time and this isn't the right way and uh, it's it's difficult to And then after a while you start hearing, it's not possible, it's not legal, um, uh, and uh, of course the time's not right. So there's a lot of people with a ministry of criticism and a gift of discouragement who go out of their way to try and discourage you. For example, uh, I received my military call-up, which all young men did uh, after leaving school uh, to the military. We had to do two years national service back in the 1970s. And so I remember some old tunny in our church coming up to me saying, when you go to the army, you'll backslide. But don't worry. When you come out again, God will forgive you and you can start again. Now, how's that for an older Christian trying to encourage you to be... Now, my two years in the army were some of the greatest times of spiritual revival and evangelism missions ever in my life. It was just extraordinary. Our whole mission grew out of it. And here's somebody trying to encourage me to backslide while I'm going through my time in the army at a very time when you should be being encouraged to stand firm. firm. But... That's not unusual. I'm afraid there's a lot of people who are out there who obviously they don't mean to, but uh, uh, there's that kind of – and when I started my work going across the border into Mozambique and Gola, the amount of people who are coming, 
you know, it can't be God's will for you to do this because if God wanted you to take Bibles into Mozambique and Angola, he would have put governments there that allow it. But because it's not legal, obviously God doesn't want you to take Bibles into whatever happened to the Great Commission. Mm. Can any authority on earth overrule our Lord Jesus Christ? Is there an authority on earth higher than that of God? Uh, mm. How is it that, oh, you only need to take the gospel to the people who are really Christians? Uh, how is it that they literally were giving the idea that, well, the Great Commission stops at the barbed wire fence and the, and the river and the iron curtain and the minefield, and you can't go across the iron curtain and the bamboo curtain. You're not, not oh, you can't go and evangelize Muslims and you can't evangelize Hindus. Who went to evangelize Christians? Mm, yeah. And how, how can we best overcome these kind of obstacles that we face in missionary service? Well, obviously, reading the Bible will be great because the first thing we need to do is to have our minds renewed. We mustn't be conformed to this world. And we need to have our minds renewed by the washing of the word and having our minds transformed so that we don't conform to this world and this world's expectations. So studying the Bible and when you see all that God has accomplished through people he's called from many different backgrounds in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and look at the Hall of Faith, and then studying church history, especially the missionary history, the history of people God has used in missions. Mm -hmm. And in my personal life, I found studying the missionaries of the greatest century of missions, the 19th century, David Livingston and William Carey and Hudson Taylor and Mary Slessor, these Great example, C.T. Studd and others. It just that encouraged me that they all faced obstacles. They all faced huge amounts of discouragement. Many people were standing on the sidelines, discouraging them and telling them it can't be done and it shouldn't be done. They weren't the right person to do it and this wasn't the right time. Mm -hmm. And yet they persevered and God blessed them. And you look back and you can say, well, obviously it was right. But at the time, there are people who said this is absolutely impossible. And uh, it just takes someone like uh, the the one who wrote about the end of the sixth happiness, uh, Gladys Elwood. Gladys Elwood, The Little Woman is the name of a book. Mm. So Gladys Elwood wants to be a missionary to China. She's refused by the mission that she applies to, the largest mission work in China at the time, because she's just a chambermaid. I mean, she is, she is not just a normal maid in the house. She was the lowest one. She basically just cleared out the fireplaces. and uh, she, she was very uneducated in their mind and unqualified. Mm. And they turned her down. Well, Gladys Aylward didn't let the fact that she was poor uh, keep her from the field. She couldn't afford a ship uh, ticket to sail to China. She took a rail ticket across Russia at a time that Russia was at war with Japan, mind you. And she takes a railway in railway carriages filled with Russian soldiers being heading to the front. And she's, she goes across the whole of Russia, which is something ridiculous, like 11 time zones at that time. Uh, and she, she gets to China and she begins to work there, and God blesses her work, and she becomes one of the most phenomenally successful missionaries, saving lives, adopting children. Uh, all, and when the Second World War broke out, there she was uh, able to lead these children to safety uh, when the front was approaching them. And Well, Gladys Elwood is just uh, this little woman. She's a good example of the mission leaders didn't think she was good enough for the field, but she had a calling from God, and God used her, and she didn't take no for an answer and didn't stop and persevered. I think that kind of stamina, it encourages us because many of us would think, you know, I'm not capable, I'm not qualified, there must be someone better for it. But when you study church history and the Bible, you see God often chooses the people who are not great in the eyes of the world. And it's not my abilities, it's my availability because the power is all of God. So it's not about me at all. 
And the fact that other people look and say, well, you're not good enough and you will never make it. Well, maybe they're right, but they're not considering the grace of God, the call of God, the power of God. And anyway, we're not going there for our own uh, abilities and talents. We're going there with the word of God and the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Yes, and God can do his best work through empty and through that which is weak and small in the eyes of the world. And that is such an encouragement that it is not us who is doing the work, but God who chooses to use us. And so what kind of obstacles can we expect when we launch out into the mission field? Whoa, there are a lot of obstacles. And of course, you just think of the barriers. I mean, there's often a geographic barrier that you've got to travel a certain distance and where do I get the money from, uh, transport and so on. Uh, there's uh, linguistic barriers, uh, language acquisition often is necessary. And of course, initially, we can solve this with uh, literature in the languages that we're going to. I've been to many a country where I didn't speak the language, but I could get literature in the language. I could get gospel recordings in the language. We can get These days, you can get audio Bibles. We used to have the old mm -hmm. card talks, uh, these cardboard um, three-sided switch with a pin and you'd use a pen in a hole in the side of the record and turn the record around and literally this would work like a gramophone and we just read thousands of them, tens of thousands of these card talks which people just staggered to see this you know, uh, ability to hear in my language, a man speak my own language and of course we uh, we not, then had the tape decks The, the um, first we had gramophones that we wound up and then we had uh, the tape recorders that could be solar panel powered or hand cranked. And so the man in the box who speaks my language, the gospel messengers and proclaimers, and uh, now there's mega voice audio Bible. So there's, and there's films. Um, I was able to take the Jesus film, 16 millimeter projector and the Jesus film in Portuguese to Mozambique, show the film in their language that they could hear. And in fact, our missions distributed and shown Jesus films in about a hundred languages. I've personally shown the Jesus film to at least 26 or 27 different language groups over the years. In fact, I've watched the Jesus film more in other languages than I have in English. And uh, it's it's great because that's another way of learning some of the languages as you repeatedly get to see whether it's the Arabic. I've shown the Arabic one probably more than any other language. And so film evangelism, literature evangelism, audio or gospel recordings evangelism are ways that a person who hasn't yet acquired the language can use while they're trying to acquire the languages. But you've got to overcome linguistic barriers. You've got to overcome uh, cultural barriers. And there's a lot of things to learn. In the Bible, we've got a, a verse that is used by missiologists to guide the different barriers. So in Acts 1 verse 8, we're told, you should wait in Jerusalem until a power from above has come upon you. So you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So Jerusalem is where you are. So you start as a witness where you are, and that's called E0. In other words, it's evangelism, not missions. You're not crossing borders. You're speaking to people who speak your language in your geographic area, in your culture. That's E0. Mission starts with E1 mm -hmm. to Judea. Now, Judea is the same culture, same language, just a little bit geographically further. So that's you're crossing a geographic a boundary to a degree. E2 is to Samaria. So Samaria symbolizes now you're crossing a cultural, linguistic, religious barrier. Um, so that's E2. Then E3 is to Atlas Potters. Now you're crossing every kind of boundary possible, linguistic, uh, cultural, religious, and so on. So for example, you may be involved in evangelism amongst your people group close by. That's E1. But then you could be going to people who are speaking a different language and then different culture. Maybe you're going to uh, Mozambique. 
Mm. But now, what about if you went to Muslim people in northern Mozambique who speak another language? Now you're crossing all about. That's like utmost parts. You know, you don't have to go to Saudi Arabia, Pakistan to go to E3. E3 mm. could be very close by. So um, these are some of the barriers you've got to cross, and that's not even speaking about raising support, getting your church mobilized behind you getting your family's blessing, uh, if that's possible. Um, <laughs> many families don't want to see their children put in harm's way, and so you can often see a, a resistance there. So those are just some of the obstacles, but of course obstacles aren't there to stop you. They're just there to be overcome. Yes, they are there to test and um, purify and strengthen our faith. Hmm. So what are ways that we can best prepare ourselves not only to survive in the field, but to thrive? Definitely being a student of the Bible and of missionary history. The more of the Word of God we study, the more we will find the Word of God is not just in my head, but also in my heart, in my hands, in my feet. Uh, we've got to be transformed by the Word of God. You cannot study the Bible too much in preparation for the field. And church history, especially mission history. So I find studying of, of victorious Christians who changed the world in the past, going from all the missionaries of the past, really talking about Boniface or you dealing with Patrick uh, of Ireland, uh, going through to modern missionaries like David Livingston and, and uh, Hudson Taylor. So it's examples of excellence that I think is a good preparation because looking at the kind of, the kind of acts and attitudes and doctrines that God blessed in the past, uh, these should inspire us in the future. And, and also, when you study missionary history, you realize there is no mold. You know, the idea that, well, to be a missionary, you must be like this or that. Well, not necessarily. There's a lot of variety. Uh, God has uh, such a wide variety of people that he's used that he's not just taking academics mm. and he's not just taking good singers and he's not just taking people who are gifted in art. Or, there's such a wide variety of personalities and characters that God has used. So that should also encourage us that we mustn't be making an excuse saying, well, I'm not the type of person. Because God uses such a large variety of people because there's such a wide variety of people in the field to reach to. And mm -hmm. there's people who would think, this person may not be ideal for your Sunday school class, but there might mm -hmm. be exactly the person who's needed out in the specific area that God's calling them to. So mm -hmm. I would say that's part of it. But then you prepare yourself for service far away by service close by. So if it doesn't work at home, don't export it. Therefore, nobody should think of missions until they've been involved in local evangelism. And you're not ready to go on cross-border missions until you have become so invaluable that your local church is going to miss you. So the person that is best for the field is a person who's been involved in everything at home, whether it is the cleaning up, sweeping out, fixing, setting up, taking down, uh, advertising, Sunday schools, local evangelism, door-to-door. -door. The more you get training in your home area, the better. You can't start to learn when you suddenly work in everywhere Missions is illegal and dangerous. Uh, that's that's challenge enough in itself. Uh, mm. If we first need to have gotten comfortable working amongst people in our Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria before we dare go to the utmost parts. Mm. So uh, I would recommend a person to volunteer for everything they can, everything that's needed, and just do what's got to be done, whether mm. it's your gifting or not, because it's such a blessing in any church or any ministry or mission nearby. So, for example, with myself, I got involved in evangelism explosion, did the training, did door-to-door -door evangelism, did a lot of literature distribution, uh, 
went to every tract society you could, got Evangelical Mission Press, uh, the Emmanuel Press, the World Missionary Press, whatever was out there, uh, Evangelical Mission Press, I would load up with literature from them and I would be just reading it in tra- at the railway stations and the bus stations. Just That's long before we had taxi ranks, by the way. And uh, being able to to do what I could with that and film evangelism and going to old age homes and volunteering for Scripture Union, going on holiday missions. And the first mission that came past, Hospital Christian Fellowship, I joined them and I learned working in whatever they gave me to do, which in my case started out with moving rocks and doing things in the garden and uh, uh, sorting out their library and more and more just developed from there. Mm -hmm. But that's what we need to do. Find out what missions and ministries are nearby you and volunteer your time and, and talents and treasure and make yourself invaluable at your local church. Mm-hmm. Those are the best preparations you can do because service here is preparation for service anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we must be willing to serve if we are caring for the Great Commission. There's one quote I've heard recently that said, you can test your willingness to serve by how you respond when people treat you as a servant. And so I thought mm. that was quite inspiring. Okay, so what are some examples and that you faced and of controversies and obstacles in the field that you can maybe share? Oh, it's sad that, that when you travel, you find that the moment you get people who are enthusiastic and, and keen for God's work, they come under fire because maybe they are too abrasive and they hurt somebody's feelings or they said something that was uh, hurtful to this person and uh, that person. For, and inevitably, anything that moves creates friction. And as was well said by Dr. James Kennedy, if you want to be free from from uh, being rebuked and uh, slandered, then you must say nothing, do nothing, and be nothing. He said the only defense against reproach is obscurity. The more prominent the more active, the more blessed, the more criticized. And I think we can see that in all of history because who is the most hated, criticized person in history? Well, our Lord Jesus Christ. He, There's whole industries built up at uh, Hollywood and so on just dedicated to blaspheming his name. In fact, in many universities and schools, you can only mention Jesus' name as a swear word. If you mention him positively, you can get into trouble, you can lose your job, you can get kicked out and so on. So there's even a, a Lord is the most loved person in one sense, he's also the most hated in another. And then you start looking at others who are really prominent now. I'm not wanting to get involved in politics, but just take the worldwide hostility for Donald Trump. Um, he was very active, he is very prominent, and so because he is very prominent, not just a billionaire, a successful businessman, but President of America, he got more criticism than you could imagine almost anyone else uh, in our in our lifetimes. And I can think of a lot of missions and ministries. When I'm thinking of James Kennedy, James Dobson, David Noble, Erlo Stegen, Quasabantu Mission, any ministry that is active and doing something important gets criticized. And that's why in his own lifetime, David Livingston got huge amounts of criticism. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, was so criticized. Uh, he he was um, actually excluded from the Baptist Union of his time because they said he was too controversial. Well, he was speaking out against what they called the downgrade controversy, that there was liberal elements already undermining the inerrancy of Scripture and the deity of Christ in the Baptist Union at the time. And so instead of dealing with the liberals, they dealt with the one who was drawing attention to it, you know, shoot the messenger. And so that's why uh, the uh, great... Baptist preacher 
C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said, Believe not half you hear, repeat not half you believe, and when you hear an evil report, halve it, quarter it, then say nothing about the rest of it. And indeed, this is true, because when you look at a lot of gossip and slander, I've come across a lot, and as a brand new Christian who didn't have much experience, I, I first of all assumed, oh, if there's smoke, there must be fire. But in fact, when you go a bit further, you find actually sometimes the smoke is just dust and hot air. Um, it's not necessarily a fire. Uh, there's a lot of people who are disgruntled for different reasons. Maybe their feelings were hurt or sins were exposed or they were rebuked or maybe they gotten disciplined or fired uh, mm. for uh, different things. And now, instead of just admitting, they'd rather criticize the one who gave them the hard rebuke. David Livingston, one of the greatest missionaries ever, certainly the best friend Africa ever had, he came back from his first missionary journey across Africa. He'd walked from coast to coast, from the Atlantic to the Indian Ocean, four years in the hinterland, phenomenal, had uh, discovered, named, mapped Victoria Falls and a whole lot of other things. And he gets back and he is like the greatest hero imaginable of his time and even received by Queen Victoria herself. And then he went out on a second missionary journey. And this time he had a whole lot of helpers. They called him the dream team. They sent out with him the greatest artist of his time, Thomas Baines, to do portraits of, for example, of Victoria Falls and, and Zambezi River. And uh, his own brother, uh, Charles, came with him and many uh, top people, uh, Dr. Kirk. And, but one by one, his team just left, one after the other, because David Livingston was hard to work with. I mean, he, he, he was uh, relentless and he had this philosophy that the sicker you were, the harder you worked because he sweated out, which not everyone can operate like that. And so before you knew it, he was alone in a field. All of his dream team sent for, had gone back to Britain. They were all spreading an evil report about him. But he was still in the field years later, still plowing ahead. And uh, when he finally got back to Britain, nobody welcomed him at the dockside. Nobody welcomed him after that. He was yesterday's hero. And because the people had all believed all the slanders and he hadn't had a chance to give his other side. They didn't bother. When he left on his third and last missionary journey, nobody saw him off to the docks. David Livingston got on the boat in his own. Nobody waved goodbye. And he went to the field and he died in Africa. And there was um, basically this, they, the people of Britain had lost interest. He was yesterday's hero. And if it wasn't for the American, Henry Morton Stanley, discovering, finding him, bringing him resupplies when he was at death's door. He had, all his medicines had been uh, lost or stolen by porters who had deserted. He had no more food, no more money, no more uh, trading items. And he was in a destitute position on the banks of the Lake Tanganyika in the center of Africa, surrounded by slave traders, um, his life literally at risk. And if it wasn't for Henry Morton Stanley, we might not have even heard of Livingston again. But Stanley brought out his journals, brought out as discoveries of his last missionary journey made him known to the rest of the world and ensured that his mission succeeded because he basically redeemed the character that had been so destroyed by these character assassins before. Now, that just teaches one that you've got to be so careful. The first to present a report seems right until another comes and cross-examines him. And so uh, it's very easy these days to see a lot of people playing football with spiritual leaders. And you can score a lot of goals if the other team's not in the field to defend their net. And it doesn't mean much, does it? Uh, one goal scored during a World Cup soccer event is an achievement. A hundred goals scored 
while the other team's not in the field means absolutely nothing. But unfortunately today you've got a lot of people who have a ministry of criticism. Mm. Yeah, and so perspective is very important. What do you imagine would have been the thing that kept Livingston going through times like this? Without a doubt, his love for God, his love for the Word of God, he loved the Psalms, he prayed the Psalms, he certainly spent a lot of time praying and singing the Psalms, and the Psalms are great. I must say, when you're discouraged, when you're depressed, when you're down, uh, when you feel defeated, you turn to the Psalms, you open up the Psalms, the biggest book in the Bible, a prayer book in the Bible, and it's everything's there. It's the prayers of a man of God's own heart, and you'll see despair and fear and guilt and shame and anger and rage and sense of injustice and joy. And it's all there in Psalms. And so when we start to pray the Psalms, we make the Psalms our prayers. I think it'll help us to face the real world. The real world is full of ups and downs and uh, positives and negatives and uh, blessings and attacks. Um, it's all part of it. Uh, sickness and health, it's, it's all there. And so the Psalms is real life. And so those Christians who think, oh, I've given my life to Jesus. Now I'm going to be wrapped up in cotton wool and bubble wrap and raptured to heaven and not get bruised or bumped or inconvenienced on the way. And that's not the gospel. And mm-hmm. when we look at the scriptures, where do you get this come to Jesus and all your problems will be over? That's not true. In fact, a whole lot of new problems will come now. In one sense, coming to the Lord and repenting of your sins and following Christ solves many of your problems. So, for example, a person who's destroying their life through drugs and alcohol and abuse and uh, sin and thievery and crime. and Well, obviously, those problems are going to be solved by coming to Christ. But now there'll be new problems. Now some of your old friends will become your enemies. And uh, people who used to like you being one of the boys at the pub are going to maybe be very angry with you because you're no longer part of that. So new problems could, could come about. And there are people who face problems from their own family from getting converted. I can think of one lovely uh, old man who uh, has given his testimony that uh, when he was a diamond thief and he worked in diamond mines and he was very trusted and he had stolen vast amounts, his family was very happy with him because their lifestyle was very comfortable and they owned lots of things and had no shortage of money. But when he was converted to Christ and he did full restitution, he returned everything. And that meant they went from owning a lot, farms, homes, and so on, to living in a rented little place. And uh, he, he was so poor at this stage, his wife left him, daughter turned against him, family was against him. Now, they were happy to benefit from the fruit of ill-gotten gains, but they weren't happy with the fruit of repentance. And so there's a person who lost a lot of, well, he gained peace with God, but he lost a lot of the friends. As we read in just the parable of the um, the uh, prodigal son, that the prodigal son had lots of friends when he's living in riotous living. And of course, he's throwing money around and people were joining in his parties. But the moment he got bankrupt and he was in the pigsty, all, well, what happened to all his friends? They all just disappeared, didn't they? Mm-hmm. So uh, you must realize that following Jesus will solve some of your problems, but it will also bring about new ones because if they hated me, they'll hate you too, Jesus said. And the servant is not above the master. And Jesus mm-hmm. suffered for us, left us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. So we need to recognize that everything in a Christian life, and in a more intensive way in missions, is discipleship. And that involves spiritual warfare. Mm. Yes, and so we must often remember as well that if 
we are to follow Christ, then it's not going to lead to a bunch of flowers. The road of Christ is going to lead to the cross. And so the harvest is very large and the workers are very far too few. How can we multiply our effectiveness? Well, how can we multiply effectiveness indeed? Well, this is part of the vision of evangelism explosion. I remember as a brand new Christian, my first year as a Christian, I was confronted with the film Like a Mighty Army by Dr. James Kennedy giving the evangelism explosion vision. And he explained how if you were just adding to the gospel, such as let's say you were as gifted as Billy Graham and you could fill a stadium, um, of course that takes a lot of work, and preach the gospel to them, you would be adding to the church. And that looks very impressive and sensational to us. But then he compared that to the model of, you know, how many people could Billy Graham reach in his lifetime through through evangelism? But then he showed, but through evangelism explosion, if you mm. were to dedicate your life to winning and discipling one person in this next year, of course, most people say, well, I can do more. Well, okay, but just for the for the sake of this example, you you in one year brought to the Lord and discipled another person. Now, the discipling is not over until the disciple is now discipling. The evangelist's job is not complete until the evangelized is evangelizing. So the goal is to multiply yourself. Now, at the end of one year, there's two of you. At the end of two years, there's four of you. In the next year, and it just keeps going, 8, 16. And so uh, that doesn't look too impressive at the beginning. But... Instead of one of you now evangelizing and discipling, there's now 16 of you. And then there is 32 and 64. And when you take it, after a while, it goes absolutely exponential. So the principle is adding to church is good. Multiplying is much better. And so we should not be satisfied with just evangelizing in a narrow sense of getting people to accept Jesus as their personal savior. In fact, that's not the biblical model. It's getting people to surrender to Christ as Lord and Savior, to follow Christ, to be lifelong disciples who will be witnessing and evangelizing and discipling themselves. And so the vision of evangelism explosion is that we seek to multiply ourselves. And the way to do that, well, there's there's many ways that we use. We use literature, we use books, we use audiovisual materials, we use websites, we use training programs, Great Commission courses, discipleship training courses, Biblical Worldview Summits, missionary internship programs, Livingston Missionary School, William Carey Bible Institute. The point is to multiply ourselves by making resource available through digital libraries, through in-depth training programs that we are not satisfied with just adding, but we're seeking to multiply. And that means I must seek to empower the people I evangelize and disciple to be evangelists and disciple makers themselves. And so long-term, This is the best solution, that it's not going to the church and a huge audience watching the one pastor doing all the work. It's the pastor equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Now, that is the biblical model. That's the Acts 13 model. That's the model where the whole church is taking the whole gospel to the whole world. Mm. Yeah, there is a place for preaching the gospel, but it's even far more important to where you are and those God put around you to be discipling them, to be faithful in that part which God gave you. And so the situation um, is very desperate at the moment. The needs are so very great um, when we look at the church around us. So what can we do in that? Well, first and foremost, we need to see that we need to recruit more people into Mm -hmm. ministry. So it may horrify and shock people to know 
that according to different statistics, less than 5% of churchgoers are involved in evangelism. Now, by, by regularly we're involved in evangelism, they meet at least once a year, which is a very low standard at that. You know, if you think you have those who are involved in weekly or daily evangelism, you're getting down to the less than 1% probably. But in terms of missiology, mission statistics, less than 10% of evangelical churches have a missions strategy at all. And when you take the, the average evangelical churches worldwide, they're spending less than 1% of their total budget on foreign missions, less than 1%. As has been pointed out in America, the average church in America is spending more on bubble gum, chewing gum, than they are on foreign missions, which is just shocking. And I bet in South Africa you could say they're spending more on airtime or Kentucky Fried Chicken or Coca-Cola than on missions. And uh, you can try that in your church area and so on. Just try and add it up and see if that's not true. And we hope... That is not true in your area, but uh, the odds are, statistically, on average, most churches are doing very little in terms of foreign missions and, mission, and evangelism. And I know of many great, big churches, huge churches even, popular churches, mega churches, that don't have an evangelism training program, that are not trained to people, who are not involved in door-to-door, who don't have a foreign missions plan, and who are not actually involved in a 1040 window or trying to reach people of particularly the least reached areas like the Muslim world. So there's a tremendous need. And so first and foremost, uh, I think we need to be informed. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. We need to get into Operation World. Patrick Johnson pioneered already from South Africa the Operation World uh, books, which are handbooks for intercession, summarizing every country in the world. And just to Obey the command of our Lord Jesus. Look at the fields, which are ripened to harvest. So look, look at the fields. And reading missionary newsletters is a good start. Visiting mm-hmm. missionary websites is a good help. Uh, getting hold of a book like Operation World or visiting Operation World website and working your way through countries. What's your clo- we started with the country closest to us, Mozambique and Angola and then Zimbabwe and Zambia. And that's where Frontline Fellowship grew out of, going to countries that were on our neighboring doorstep, literally, which were in tremendous need. Uh, Not one Bible for a thousand people in Mozambique, for example, when we began our work there. And we determined to do something about that. And so I think it's important that we look at the fields, that we learn, uh, that we get in touch with missionaries who've been to those areas, that we read the missionary newsletters, visit their websites, get a guest speaker to come and speak at our church or school or, or Bible study group if possible. And Uh, that we study more on it. Um, And Operation World is a good beginning. You might choose to focus on a particular country and say, okay, we can learn everything we can about, let's say, Mozambique or Angola or the Congo. And then you find people from there or who's working there and learn there. But uh, that's that's a start. So uh, what can we do? Be informed. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. And then be interceding. We should be praying personally, but also as a family. Uh, Why... Just stop at thanking the Lord for the food uh, at a meal, maybe at the evening table, uh, spend some time praying for a specific country or mission or missionary and or missionary family. And, of course, we need to be inceding. Be informed, be inceding, and then be involved. There's something we can do. We can all do something. Whether it is supporting an audio Bible to go to people, like we just sent a whole lot of audio Bibles up to the Nuba Mountains for people who are blind and who cannot read or people who are literate. And these audio Bibles... Uh, they really do the rounds, and people 
many, many more people than just the one you entrusted to get to hear from them. And, and they've always got people around them listening as they're able to go from one book to the other. And uh, audio Bibles are sponsoring Bibles in indigenous languages. Everybody prefers the Word of God in their own home language. And so uh, sponsoring these, and, and many of these are quite expensive because it's not like English or French, which are commercially viable. A lot of these small languages, there may only be a small print run of 2,000 copies. And so the prices, unit price is very high. You know, there's a thousand page book and it's um, a lot of work when the translations, these are not cheap, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, they can really change someone's life. And so uh, investing in these, these Bibles is really, really important. And so people can sponsor Bibles. They can sponsor uh, audio Bibles. They can sponsor people to come to training courses, support a missionary who's going to those areas. We can all do something, maybe get training. Are you trained in Way of the Master in evangelism explosion? Uh, have you been involved in Muslim evangelism? Have you gone through a Muslim evangelism training program? There's, these are practical things all of us can do. So we must all be informed, we must all be interceding, and we must all be involved. Mm, yes. And what was, must we do to fulfill the Great Commission? To fulfill the Great Commission, we need to reach every tribe, language, and tongue, and mm. people throughout the whole world. Now, you may look and think, well, there's about, what, 221 countries in the world. Well, unfortunately, that doesn't fulfill the requirements. Uh, in Matthew 28, our Lord used the word ethne. When he says every nation, he used the word ethne in Greek, which is the word for, from where we get our word ethnic from, or as an ethnolinguistic people group. Mm -hmm. And the Bible is clear, both in the giving of the Great Commission and in the promise to Abraham, that every family of the nation of the earth shall be blessed through the gospel, which is going to come through the Lord, the seed of Abraham. And in Revelation 5, we learn that there'll be people of every tribe, language, and nation, and group in heaven worshiping the Lord. To fulfill the Great Commission, we must make disciples of all nations, teaching them obedience to all things the Lord has commanded. So the Great Commission is great. It has a great claim. Christ is all authority. It's a great commission to make disciples of all nations. It has a great command to teach obedience to all things the Lord has commanded, and it has a great promise. The Lord promises to be with us for all time. Mm -hmm. So the Great Commission requires people who are well-trained and discipled to go to different national groups. Now, when you look at it, you've got to break down these 221 countries and recognize there's over 7,000 ethno-linguistic people groups, at least depending on which definition. Mm. But 7,000 ethno-linguistic people groups, every nation and tribe needs needs a church amongst them. And uh, because people respond to the gospel best in their own language and culture. So it's not enough to say, we have a missionary in China, which would be difficult because missionaries aren't allowed in China. It's a restricted access area. Uh, but still, there are over a billion people in China and there's many different languages and groups. And mm. India... Uh, there's multiple different languages and groups and tribes. Just take Indonesia. Indonesia's got 1,300 language groups or tribes. Nigeria has 144 different, and sorry, Sudan's got 144 different ethnolinguistic groups. Nigeria's got 480 different tribes, nations, ethnolinguistic people groups. So we need to really get specific and realize if we can just adopt one people group, if each congregation adopts one people group and supports it, that's the way uh, to go forward. So uh, it's good to pray for the whole world. I'd say let's get a world map up in our church, in our home, in our school, 
in our cell group. A world map is a good thing to broaden our vision. And then if you're going to focus on a specific group, let's say you're focusing on a group in the Congo and Sudan, get a map of that area as well. So you want to have a world vision and you want to have a more specific vision. A map is a good regular reminder. Some missions have prayer posters. If you go on the frontline mission, sa.org website, we've got prayer posters and pray for Africa. We've got prayer posters on uh, pray for the Muslim world, uh, pray for Zimbabwe, for South Sudan, for the Nub Mountains. So uh, there's, we've got different prayer posts you can download, print, um, and uh, put up uh, with thumbtacks or press stickers, as the case may be, in your school or church and Sunday school. So I think um, getting uh, something visually out there, uh, getting speakers on it, and then find out, are there videos that you can show? Is there information you can make known? Uh, where can you plug in? So what must be done to fulfill a Great Commission? There are more churches in the world than there are people groups that need to be reached. But we know that most churches aren't involved in, in this. Most churches are, in fact, very, very local, and some aren't even doing anything outside their own doors and walls. Uh, but imagine if churches started to adopt people groups and then pray for and then send and support. Um, and you could, all of us can pray. Most of us can give, and some of us can even go. And where can churches send people? Um, how can they get involved into sending people out? Are there some resources they can go to, some courses you can recommend? Yes, aside from the first steps of doing evangelism explosion, where the master, uh, which are excellent personal evangelism, one-on-one -on -one evangelistic materials, and getting in touch with groups that will give you the large amount of gospel that you need, whether it's World Missionary Press and All Nations Gospel Publishers, uh, we organize Great Commission courses. So, for example, coming up middle of this year, we've got planned a Great Commission course where we train people, boots on the ground, it's body, mind, and spirit, it's, it's physical, it's practical. It involves regular outreaches. We do multiple outreaches, including amongst Muslims. Cape Town's a very cosmopolitan city. We've got, in fact, you can reach people from totally closed, restricted access countries where the people are persecuted back home in Cape Town. You could reach Somalians in Cape Town, Saudi Arabians, Pakistanis, uh, Eritreans. They, they're all here. We've got, it's amazing what you get in a port city. So it's almost like Pentecost in reverse. And we can uh, receive a lot of uh, people here and, and we do some good practical outreaches. Here we've got Table Mountain. So, you know, mountain climbing, uh, PT, outreaches, evangelism. It's, it's all here. So our Great Commission course is an intensive three weeks missionary boot camp to introduce people to missions and help get people into a disciplined frame of mind of both disciplined study, physically preparing oneself for the field, because we will get sick. And we need to, mm -hmm. the healthier you are, the quicker we can recover and, and mm -hmm. be back in, in effective use. So uh, all of this is important. And what I've learned over the years being involved in missions, we've tried to put into our Great Commission courses, we've got the Great Commission handbooks, we've got all kinds of great resources, guest speakers, and we seek to focus on a full experience where people at the end of it will be really well equipped. They'll go away with digital libraries and physical libraries if they prefer those uh, to be able to make an impact and multiply themselves by recruiting and training more people in the area and country uh, to be world Christians, to be not worldly Christians, but to be Great Commission Christians. Mm -hmm. yeah, wonderful. Thank you. So people can go to the website, um, frontlinemissionssa.org, to see more of the Great Commission and different resources we have. Yeah, FrontlineMissionSA.org. FrontlineMissionSA.org. Uh, frontline that's the website. And the email is mission at frontline.org.za, or as the Americans would say, ZA. Mission at frontline.org.za. That's the email. FrontlineMissionSA.org is the website. And you can also find us on Facebook, Frontline Fellowship. And 
uh, you will be able to find on there videos, audios, prayer posters, prayer guidelines, prayer and praise updates mm. to get you involved. If you want to mobilize and motivate your church, you'll find PowerPoints that you can use in Sunday school, uh, resources, information. Get on the email list, uh, write to mission at frontline.org.zn, ask people on the mailing list, and you'll get updates from the field and some of what's going on in the world to help mm. maybe guide your prayers and to understand the times and to really energize and, and encourage mm. people you're in touch with to fulfill the Great Commission. Mm. Yes, you will get some real encouraging um, resources from there, and we would love to hear from you as well. I'd like to close with a verse from 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God, who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then speaking about all the different um, obstacles and discouragement that we will face when we um, follow Christ, we can remember this promise that we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, because it is God who is working in us, it is Him who is giving us strength, so we don't go out on our own strength, and I think that has been the encouragement also for Livingston and for missionaries now as well. Mm -hmm. May God bless you and have a good night. <laughs>